I, I couldn't understand or even start to understand systemic inequalities until I left the church. And then I was like, oh, that makes more sense now. Welcome to the Babel Podcast. I'm your host, Paige Brees, and I am so happy to have you here for some raw and real conversation. People say you should never discuss politics, money, or religion. Well, not here. This is a safe space to dive deep into how religion as a whole has affected our hearts, our minds, and our world. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. We all have a seat at the table, and I invite you to sit with me as I talk with religious leaders, experts, and friends alike. So, without further ado, let's babble. What's up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Babel Podcast. <laughs> Today, once again, part three, I have Kelsey Slay Roberts with me. Um, she is an incredible human. Um, she is a mother, she is a wife, but more importantly than that, she is a growing voice in the ex-Mormon community. Um, and she has just kind of used her platform to let people know some of the things about the Mormon church that they didn't know before. So today we're going to dive into civil rights a little bit more, uh, specifically yeah. for, um, specifically for people of color and how the Mormon church has been involved in that saga. So Kelsey, welcome back. Thank you for being Thank here. You. Thanks. Thanks for having me a third time. Yeah, of course. It's just, uh, you have so many things to say. We can't fit it all, <laughs> can't fit it all yeah. in one thing. No, that would be impossible. <laughs> yeah, but um, I guess to like start off, um, I, I was listening to a conversation a couple of days ago with a, um, uh, she's an ex-Mormon creator as well on TikTok, but mm -hmm. she is a person of color. So she was talking about racism and atheism mm -hmm. and, um, and how just it's pretty common for white people, even white atheists to still try and dominate people of color's affiliation with Christianity mm. or with Mormonism and say, cause in like a common um, argument will be like, well, why are black people still Christians? Don't you know about how the Bible talks about slavery and is pro-slavery and how the history of Christianity enslaved your people. And um, so I don't want this to be like a conversation almost criticizing any people of color who mm -hmm. joined the Mormon church or are still in the Mormon church about, oh, you shouldn't be in it because it was racist. Because um, mm -hmm. that's definitely not my intent or my place, but more a conversation to explore the relationship the church has had with people of color from its beginning, even up until today. So yeah. whatever that's your great. judgment is on that is good for you. <laughs> yeah. No, it's more so just a I like how you said it as an exploration, like just bringing yeah. things to the forefront and being like, this is yeah. what happened. This is the thing do with this information, what you will. Right. Um, and a lot of these things I didn't even know about until like seven months ago. So right, right. every, every member current and potential has a right to know these types of information and history. And so mm -hmm. they can use their best judgment with it. Definitely. 
Yeah. So um, the creation of the church, right, was in 1830 with Joseph Smith and his influence with the Book of Mormon and writing the Book of Mormon had really strong um, influences from the Bible, which of course had those themes of slavery and mm-hmm. um, those that are enslaved should obey their masters types of scriptures in there. So those same um, scriptures ended up in the Book of Mormon as well. And that was a pretty common theme there. Mm-hmm. And there's actually, if we want to start with just the Book of Mormon itself, there's actually yeah. a, there's a really heavy theme of um, skin color throughout the entire uh, book. And the whole point, the whole premise of the Book of Mormon is about two peoples or, or two civilizations. And one's called the Nephites, one are called the Lamanites. They used to be, so Nephi and Laman used to be brothers in the beginning of the book. But then the brother Laman is very sinful. He gets cursed with a skin of blackness. And his people go off to live in, um, in sin and just like all kinds of really immoral actions. And then the book, the Book of Mormon follows the journey of these two civilizations who war with each other throughout centuries. And Mm -hmm. they have rises and falls of righteousness and then um, pride and and sin. and, um, And throughout the book, the theme is that those that are cursed have dark skin and the cursed ones are the Lamanites and they're not supposed to ever inter- intermingle with the Nephites or else the Nephites would then adopt the sin and, mm-hmm. and the curse themselves. And all of this originates back to Cain um, in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the ever present theme throughout the entire Book of Mormon. And then as Lamanites become more righteous, their skin turns whiter. And so the church nowadays has really been fighting to reason away that ever-present theme in like our number one book of scripture. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard for Mormonism to separate itself from how it views people of color because it's the premise almost of our religion, you know, in this book. Um, And feel free to like jump in with any questions or like explanations. I mean, that all makes, it all makes sense to me. Um, It's yeah. yeah. It's just so interesting that it's such a obvious distinction that's made. Um, yes, in the book. Yeah, and um, and how the church has tried to reason it away. Like for instance, I just have like a compilation of some scriptures that really talk about this outright. Um, so in like Second Nephi chapter five verse twenty one, it says, "And he had caused the cursing to come upon them, meaning God, yea, even a sore cursing because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, and they had become like a, unto a flint. Wherefore, as they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome, that they may not be enticing unto my people, the Lord did cause the skin of blackness to come upon them. So we already see there the righteous are white and delightsome, and God puts a curse on those." on the Lamanites so that they wouldn't ever mix. It was a very obvious sign. Oh, if you had black skin, you was a white person were not to mix with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a similar theme in the Bible too, with like the land of Canaan and the Canaanites, Um, like don't mix with the Canaanites. I don't know if they were like cursed with the skin of blackness or not, but. Right. No, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. It's that type of idea. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm really not that well-informed in the Bible, (laughs) but I am more informed in the Book of Mormon. (laughs) That's okay. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then um, in like second Nephi chapter 30, we have many generations shall not pass away among them, save they shall be a white and delight some people. In another book called Jacob, um, behold the Lamanites, your brethren, whom ye hate because of their filthiness and the cursing which hath come upon their skins, that their skins will be whiter than yours. When ye shall be brought unto, when ye shall be brought with them before the throne of God, revile no more against them because of the darkness of their skins. In the book Alma, the skins of the Lamanites were dark according to the mark which was set upon their fathers, which was a curse upon them. That mark being the mark of Cain, um, Cain and Abel. And how Cain was cursed with a dark skin, I think. Um, And uh, the book of third Nephi, there's three books of Nephi. And their curse was taken from them and their skin became white like unto the Nephites. The book of Mormon, which is its own, like its own book compiled in the book of Mormon is Mormon chapter nine, verse six. Oh, then ye believing, turn ye unto the Lord, cry mightily unto the Father in the name of Jesus, that perhaps ye may be found spotless, pure, white, and fair. Um, so those are just some examples I have on hand. But yeah, the theme goes throughout all the books because it's the whole arc of the entire story. Hmm. Um, and so modern day leaders now, um, I was taught like by my dad that black people were black because their ancestors were Lamanites. And um, in my dad's ward or congregation in Louisiana, there was an indigenous man there. And my dad told me one time as a kid, I can't, I don't remember his name, but we've referred to each other as brothers and sisters in the church. And he would say, brother there, so-and-so, he's a Lamanite because he had dark skin. And me and my siblings would be like, oh, whoa, like, wow, he's a layman, book of Mormon, like, Wow. Um, and, and even in Mexico, um, Mexicans are still taught to this day that they are literal descendants of Lehi and um, like Lamanites mm-hmm. in the Book of Mormon. And so culturally, it's still being taught throughout the world. But as far as America and Europe goes, they've been really they've distanced themselves away from this teaching around mm-hmm. the same time as the civil rights era after the 1970s because it's extremely problematic and the world is advancing with um, civil rights and and anti-racism and this is the really big crux for the religion and so now they tell us oh it doesn't mean a literal skin of darkness it meant a countenance of darkness it was a spiritual darkness Mm -hmm. so when people are in sin their countenance is just darkened and woeful and that's how they try and and say it now. So if you were to ask a Mormon nowadays, wait, what about your racist uh, verses in the scriptures? Mm-hmm. They would say, oh, that doesn't mean a literal skin of darkness, which is just mental gymnastics because those scriptures I read could not really be any clearer well, <laughs> about yeah, they, they what the intent say. was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, if you look at Mormon art, those Lamanites are pr- depicted as Native Americans mm-hmm. um, and have very uh indigenous heavy influences and appropriation in them um yeah so that's the foundation with the church's relationship of people of color um and so it's really complicated because uh the church at the same time has taught that it's only people from africa who 
were denied um, any access to covenants, so like ceilings, endowments, um, temple ordinances, the saving ones to get into heaven, and they were denied the ability to hold the priesthood for men in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea that Lamanites also extended to those from Polynesian countries um, and Mexicans mm-hmm. and indigenous Native Americans, those were also considered Lamanites because they were obviously of darker skin. Right. Um, so pretty much just everyone yeah, <laughs> who was a person of color. Is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, does that include, what about the, um, the Asian population? Cause sometimes Asians are exempted and okay. I think those from India. Yeah. So like, which is oh, people, part oh, of Asia, okay. but, um, yeah, pretty much all of Asia is exempted and I'm not sure why <laughs> we like them. <laughs> yeah. They, they never come up. So hmm. I think people, I think honestly here in the West, we just kind of forget about Asia. A lot. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and yeah. and the church doesn't have a lot of access into Asia either to proselytize. So that might be why mm. we forget about them. Because okay. I don't think we have the the legal ability to proselytize in like India, for example, or really heavy Muslim countries. Right. Um, we're not really allowed to send missionaries there. Is that for, because of the church's choice, or is that because just like the no? It's because of those countries. Mm. Yeah. Um, like there are some countries where you can come, but you can't, you can come as a missionary, but you can, you cannot preach your religion. You can only talk about it if that native person to that country comes up to you and asks you about it, but you can't baptize anybody because that would be illegal. Um, I can't remember exactly which country those are anymore, but somewhere over there, you yeah. know, in like Asia and the East. Um, yeah. So um, so the church and the foundation and back in the 1830s, 1800s were really pro-slavery. Um, Joseph Smith taught that slavery was ordained by God because of the, the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, his successor, Brigham Young, taught the same thing. And when Brigham Young and um, after Joseph Smith died, Brigham Young became the prophet. And when he settled Utah with all the Mormons, uh, he put himself as governor of Utah. And this was before they were adopted into the U.S. But he was the governor of Utah and he instituted the initial segregation laws um, that existed up until like throughout being adopted by the U.S. and up until you know, the 1960s, oh, 70s, so whatever. He, he started everything. Yeah. Yeah. So he started like the precedent in Utah, even before it was a state. Um, And that just, you know, existed because the U S was also a segregated country as well. Right. Right. Yeah. So they quite preliminary. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Let me pull more notes. Um, More interesting facts would be Joseph Smith had a, like a housemaid who she used to be a slave, but she was a free slave and her name was Jane Manning James. And she ended up being sealed to Joseph Smith as a servant in the eternities. Um, Sealings are usually only for spouses. Um, So like husbands and wives. Mm -hmm. So like a wedding Um, back then in that time. And now it includes like sealing your children to Mm -hmm. those to the married people, but it, it's never been practiced that servants get sealed to you or, or Mm -hmm. members of your house, 
uh, as like maids, right. cooks. They never get sealed or anything. But Joseph Smith did have one um, black woman who was sealed to him as a servant to serve and obey the family throughout all eternities. Mm. And um, sealed and then, means, um, sorry. Um, just yeah, sealed is like an, it's like an ownership. Um, okay. So it, it's, it's essentially the same as what a wedding is legally here, mm. but in Mormon theology, it's eternal. And so even if you were not legally married mm-hmm. here in, in mortality in your country, you could mm-hmm. still be sealed and would be considered married by God's law um, mm-hmm. into the next life. And that's why polygamy happened, because even though polygamy was illegal, Mormons were still practicing spiritual weddings to each other or sealings mm-hmm. um, to have multiple wives. So they'd had one legal wife, but then have you know, like Joseph Smith had 36 or 35 or 36 other wives that were spiritually sealed to him. Brigham Young had like, I don't don't even know, 50 or something wives. So that's how they got around (laughs) the legal rule. Yeah. (laughs) Damn, my dude. Okay. So sealing just means like that person, like your souls or your spirits are conjoined forever and ever. Yeah. Are, yeah. Are married forever. Um, so pretty out of, any precedent for um, somebody to be sealed as a servant. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the only time that's ever happened as well. Interesting. Um, In the late 1800s, the church also owned a slave. So like the church organization itself owned a slave named Greenflake um, because there was a member who couldn't afford to pay tithing with money. So he paid tithing to the church from one of his slaves that he owned and sold that slave to the church. And then that slave worked a number of years as a, a servant, so to speak, for the organization of the church mm-hmm. until he got granted freedom. Um, so. Alrighty. Yeah. Um, and then of course, like um, black people couldn't have access to the priesthood. So they, um, I think there were two black men in that late 1800s who did hold the priesthood, but then it became the norm to deny all black um, people to have priesthood. And originally it was taught that it was because they were slaves. And so slaves didn't have equal rights legally. So of course they couldn't have the priesthood if they're owned by another person. Mm. Uh, But then when slavery was abolished, the church still denied that black people could have the priesthood or any saving ordinances just because they had the curse of Cain. And that's kind of where the idea started kicking in that um, people of color were less valiant in the preexistence because if you couldn't blame slavery anymore, you needed a new motivation to explain Mm -hmm. why they couldn't have the priesthood. And it was very commonly taught that they, um, uh, I should say, I think what's unique about Mormonism compared to Christianity is this theology of the pre-existence and that there was life before here in mortality because our spirits are eternal, like eternal next to God. We weren't created Mm -hmm. by God. We always existed as intelligences. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the whole reason we even have mortality is because before any of us were born, before the earth was created, there was a huge war in heaven um, and 
Satan and Jesus had a plan about what to do in mortality. And Jesus's plan was to be crucified here. And Satan's plan was to control everyone and force everyone to go back to heaven. Mm -hmm. Um, And two thirds of the host of heaven sided with Jesus. One third of the host of heaven sided with Satan. And if you are born here alive, you sided with Jesus. You, Mm -hmm. You picked the right choice. And then the third that sided with Satan never got to come to earth. The only exception to this is if you are black. <laughs> so, <laughs> so everyone okay. who was born sided with Jesus, right? But uh-huh. if you were born black, that meant in the pre-existence, you were less valiant in the war in heaven. You didn't fight as valiantly um, against Satan as somebody who was born white. And you denied the priesthood in the pre-existence somehow. And so then that is why as a curse or a punishment to be served in mortality, you weren't allowed to bear the priesthood because you denied it before you were born Mm -hmm. and you couldn't um, be sealed to your family forever. And you couldn't have your endowments taken out in the temple either. Mm. And, uh, and then, you know, the brethren of the church would just say, that's the way God made it. I don't know what you want me to do about it. (laughs) That's the eternal law. (laughs) We don't like it either. (laughs) But, you know, and it is what uh, it is. yeah, and that was core Mormon doctrine uh, for a very, very long time for about 150 years. That was oh, wow. the core doctrine. And um, the Mormon presidency now, they write this off and they say those were rumors. Those were just theories presented from random people we don't know. Um because I was taught that growing up. I, I didn't know, I knew that blacks couldn't have the priesthood until 1979, because that's when the priesthood ban was lifted. We all know that year. And uh, so I knew that blacks couldn't have the priesthood, but whenever we kind of asked like, why did that happen? We were always, I was always taught growing up, well, God's mysterious. We don't have the answers yet. There was a reason the priesthood ban existed. There was a reason he took it away. He hasn't told us the answers yet about why that happened. And it's not really much to go off of. It's no. a common cop out to be like, well, God's mysterious. I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I don't just to be kind accountable of like, for this. It's, you know, he's yeah. And, and, and then we would be told the only thing that matters now is that black people can have the priesthood. God loves all of his children, regardless of race, regardless of color. And that would just kind of like, of course, pacify us. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just like, okay, <laughs> well, it's not happening in my lifetime. So I guess why does it really matter? Right. Um, which of course we could say because we were white and the yeah. predominant race of Mormonism are white people. Mm-hmm. And so you're just like, well, if it didn't affect me, like yikes that really sucked you know (laughs) the same way you compartmentalized how slavery happened and Mm -hmm. the same way you compartmentalized the civil rights movement and you compartmentalize it yeah because it doesn't fit with your ethics Mm -hmm. um and i think we're all trained as white people to do that really well oh yeah Um, absolutely and so that was we know what i did and and didn't look into it more and didn't want to think about it more because it was uncomfortable like mm-hmm. it's obvious injustice <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty blatant but uh yeah um and so and so like in the in the handbooks now because 
the church produces um, lesson manuals that we all teach from on Sundays okay. at church. So that's why everybody is on the same lesson throughout the world, because we're all reading from the same handbooks. And in those handbooks, um, you know, I remember reading how the apostle, a current day apostle, Elder Holland, he was the one who was like, we on Blacks in the Priesthood, it's a lesson in there um, that comes up. And and he said, oh, those were rumors of men. We disavow those rumors. We don't believe those theories. Mm-hmm. People have tried to produce theories in the church. And that was the first time I recognized that that was gaslighting because mm-hmm. I was like, wait a second. But Joseph Smith taught that. But Brigham Young taught that. But Prophet John Taylor taught that. But Prophet, you know, like Woodruff Wilson taught that. Mm-hmm. Every prophet taught that up until the prophet of the 1970s -hmm. when halfway through his tenure, he's like, whoops, actually, I'm going to stop saying that. Yeah. never mind. (laughs) I have to stop saying that. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, which was like David O. McKay or something. Mm. And, and that that was the first time that I realized what, because I had just learned about gaslighting and I was like, wait, that's gaslighting because that is exactly what the church taught. Mm. Um, and I, and I didn't realize that till last September of 2020. Mm. And then in last September, 2020, I was like, what's the extent of it though? And that's when I started looking at all of the history about the relationship of people of color with the Mormon religion. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, in 1940, 1947 or 1949, the church, um, they came out with an entire letter from the first presidency stating what the doctrine was regarding blacks in the priesthood. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and of course, like in this proclamation, they refer to black people with the n-word so i will not just to be sensitive yes of course um oh oh sorry hello i know i'm sorry <laughs> that's okay <laughs> um so it, it talks about how the attitude of the church with reference to black people remains as it always stood and it's not a matter of the declaration of a policy but of direct commandment from the Lord on which this is founded the doctrine of the church from the days of its organization to the effect that black people may become members of the church, but that they are not entitled to the priesthood at the present time. Um, This is really important because modern day Mormons. Now we are taught that wasn't doctrine at the time uh, because we have this huge fascination of doctrine and policy as Mormons. Um, The doctrines are the core tenets of the religion that are supposed to never change because Mm -hmm. God never changes. And that's what we strongly believe in. God never changes. There are principles and doctrines that have existed throughout the beginning of time that's never supposed to change. And God loving his children, regardless of race, is supposed to be one of those doctrines. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what we're taught nowadays. That's that's the doctrine I grew up in. Um, and, And then we write everything off as the flaws of men. They were speaking as men, not as prophets, where it was a policy. Policies are written by men, but doctrines are written by God. And so if there was something that was unfair or an injustice in the history of the church, well, that was a policy because Mm -hmm. the doctrine is supersedes the policy as far as authority and importance. Um, And so that's what I was taught was blacks couldn't have the priesthood because of the policy. And they've been teaching that narrative like the last 15 years or something. Um, However, that's not true because (laughs) 
even the prophet and his apostles came out with a solid declaration in yeah August 17th, 1949, saying this is doctrine. It explicitly is not policy. God made it this way. And if you don't like it, take it up with God. Like mm. we're just here as his voice pieces or his mouth right. pieces. So it's pretty like hard evidence to try and argue with um, because yeah. until last September, I didn't know that this document existed. I didn't know about this proclamation. Um, but to continue, it it says, because this is just pretty damning, but it says the prophets of the Lord have made several statements as to the operation of the principle. President Brigham Young said, why are so many of the inhabitants of the earth cursed with the skin of blackness? It comes in consequence of their fathers rejecting the power of the holy priesthood and the law of God. They will go down to death. And when all the rest of the children have received their blessings in the holy priesthood, then that curse will be removed from the seed of Cain. And they will then come up and possess the priesthood and receive all the blessings which we now are entitled to the day will come when all that race will be redeemed and possess all the blessings which we have now uh the position of the church regarding the black person it may be understood when another doctrine of the church is kept in mind namely that the conduct of spirits in the pre-mortal existence has the same determining effect upon the conditions and circumstances under which these spirits take on mortality and that while the details of this principle have not been made known, the, mor the mortality is a privilege that is given to those who maintain their first estate or uh, the first estate being they, ch they sided with Jesus and the preexistence um, because mortality is considered the second estate okay. and then heaven is considered the third estate. It's just some Mormon lingo. Um, <laughs> Uh, that the worth of the privilege is so great that spirits are willing to come to earth and take on bodies, no matter what the handicap may be as the kind of bodies they are to secure. And that among the handicaps failure of the right to enjoy immortality, the blessings of the priesthood is a handicap, which spirits are willing to assume in order that they might come to earth. So black people essentially are handicapped with a skin of blackness because they were less valiant in the preexistence and didn't fight hard enough in the war in heaven. Um, and they can't have the priesthood now because they rejected it beforehand. Right. Um, so that's essentially like what it talks about, but yeah, that was the doctrine. And they were just like, hmm, it's doctrine. It's not policy. So stop saying it's policy right. um, about why this is happening. Yeah. And it makes it sound like too, that, Oh, the, like in the pre-existence, those spirits who were, who didn't fight valiantly enough mm -hmm. still like, they still wanted to come to earth so bad and like be privileged yeah. like the people who did. So they would, they would accept exactly the of the black skin right. and not have, and you yes. know, not have these entitlements just to get onto earth. Like, Oh, cool. Yeah. And that was, that's also been taught as people with disabilities too. It's the same idea. People with oh. disabilities were less valiant and that's why they're handicapped here in life. So Interesting. just as a side note, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, as far as like real handicaps as well, they don't teach that anymore. They switch it now and they say their spirits were so perfect. They were so righteous in the preexistence. That's why they have a disability now, because if they didn't have a disability, they would be unstoppable <laughs> as like spiritual missionaries, essentially. That is That's what a they one <laughs> shift. <laughs> yeah. And it's still like so bad <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so yeah that's what they teach now about people with disabilities they just Interesting. were too I'll good have 
I'll have to tell my baby brother about that. He'll be happy to hear that mm. he was perfect in the pre-existence. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he'll feel so grateful. <laughs> <laughs> He's perfect yeah. now, obviously, but that's good to know. Yeah. Um, and another interesting part about this proclamation is how it mentions that um, the day will come when all that race will be redeemed, when all black people will be redeemed and possess all the blessings that they have now. So they're like, yeah, it may happen one day, <laughs> but we don't know when. And it's not so, this day. So it's like this complicated balance that the church handles now, because yeah. on one hand, they're saying this never happened. Those were rumors. We never taught that. But on the other hand, they might also say, well, obviously that was a prophecy because blacks have the priesthood now, just like that was prophesied, you know, 80 years ago or something. Right. And, uh, but how do you have both? But you're also saying it was never doctrine. It was never taught. Right. And yet it's still prophecy and like, oh, you still win. Which yeah. is it? Right. Right. Which it, is I mean, it? <laughs> kind of make your bed and lie in it. Don't keep yeah, messing up the sheets it's, here. Yeah, they're really struggling with that because <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense and it's a lot of mental gymnastics to go through. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So. Um, some other things as well are like how the church really advocated for segregation. They taught that segregation, like legal seg segregation was ordained by God and should not be removed. And they were very vocal that its members should continue to vote away segregation or um, be against it because whatever God instills on earth is instilled in heaven. Um, and let me so find wait, they were they were telling people to vote to keep segregation. This was during the civil rights movement, like in the 1960s. Oh, okay. And they, you know, when like segregation laws were being considered to be mm -hmm. removed, and and the church was very vocal about no segregation laws cannot be removed. Mm -hmm. um, those were ordained by God, and they have to continue to stay. And so, okay. and whatever the church says about its public opinion is then becoming the public opinion of its members because. Mm -hmm. The church is the one true church. So right. that's why so many Mormons are conservatives. <laughs> uh, so like, yeah, exactly. Uh, the apostle Mark E. Peterson had said, I think the Lord segregated the black man. Of course, that means the N word. And who is man to change that segregation? It reminds me of the scripture on marriage. What God hath joined together, let no man asunder. Only here we have the reverse of the thing. What God hath separated, let not man bring together again. So they're like, if we have segregation now, it's because God made it that way. And who are you as a man to challenge God's laws? That's right. not your right to, to take away. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they and they also taught for a very long time against interracial marriages. Mm -hmm. So when I grew up, that was something I'd also learned from my dad. Was um, he 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 told me how the church discourages because at that point when I was young, it wasn't that they taught explicitly against it, but that they mm -hmm. they just discouraged it. And I remember learning because I'd asked him like, well, why can't black people and white people 
be married together. And my dad was like, well, the church really discourages it because it could create conflict in the family, you know, two different cultures that, that can put a lot of pressure on a family. It's a lot of differences, but it's not just about race because they also say the same things that people should be married in the same socioeconomic level Mm -hmm. and the same religion. Um, And it's just, just one more thing you don't want to worry about in a marriage. Right. So I was taught that young. Um, Yeah like internalized messages I had to deconstruct as yeah. an adult. Yeah, unfortunately. No, absolutely. I mean, that would, that's across the board, I think in, in Christianity as well, at least mm. in the Christianity I grew up in, it was not, mm-hmm. I was never told explicitly, like, don't date people of color. But yeah. I mean, you are comfortable with and become attracted to and aware of the people who surround you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. Went to oh yeah. Church, I was taught that too. And and I went to a church that had very few people of color at it. Like, yeah. It, it Same. Just, <laughs> so I, and like my, I had nobody in my family like at all who had ever dated with or been with a person of mm-hmm. color. It was just not. And yeah. yeah. So I just, there were days where I thought about, it was like, what would, what would my parents say if I brought home? A person of color would they be upset with that yeah why do I and why do I think that they would be upset with that yeah why do I already assume that would be uncomfortable right I was like what's happening here what is what does this mean um yeah so yeah I think it's it's even though it might not be so explicitly said in certain churches of the Christian faith I think somehow some way I can't I don't know how or why but yeah somehow that is internalized um, so it's, it's intriguing that the Mormon church is so upfront about it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I know like where my prejudices came from Yeah, right? because <laughs> I like tracked it down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's very, no. it's very obvious that that's, that's where that stems from. Yeah. Like this one prophet named George Albert Smith he said social intercourse between the whites and blacks should certainly not be encouraged because of leading to intermarriage, which the Lord has forbidden. So, you know, like Mm. in earlier days, it was Lord forbade um, interracial marriage. And uh, this other apostle named J. Reuben Clark, he called it a virus. And I remember like these apostles, these are like the highest callings in the church. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's essentially no different than Jesus and his 12 apostles. Like Mm -hmm. you really can't get higher on the totem pole unless you're the prophet himself. Mm -hmm. And in growing up, we're always taught that whatever prophets and apostles say, they are considered scripture. Um, And we study the words of prophets and apostles as scripture in Sunday school. So That's how like rigid we as Mormons are whenever prophets and apostles say anything. Um, because, you know, we have those general conferences twice a year. We Between general conference, we spend the next six months before the next general conference mm-hmm. in, our, um, in one of our meetings on Sundays, reviewing every single talk from that conference. We we discuss it, we take it apart, we structure lessons around it the same way we do from the Bible, well, really less of the Bible, to be honest, but more of the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. And 
we're taught that those are scriptures because they're the living mouthpieces of God. No different mm. than Moses, no different than Abraham, um, no different than Jesus himself. So when apostles and prophets say really damning things, it's yeah. it's like this shouldn't be ir- this shouldn't be refutable because it's your prophet and apostles, mm. and um, and that's how they treat Russell and Nelson now, the current prophet and the current apostles. It's whatever they say is like, yes, that is literally God. <laughs> like, yeah. um, so this apostle, he called it a virus and he said, it is sought today to certain quarters to break down all race prejudice. So some people are trying to break down racial prejudice and at the end of the road, which they who urge this see is intermarriage. You should treat them as brothers and sisters, but do not ever let that wicked virus get into your systems that brotherhood either permits or entitles you to mix races, which are inconsistent. Biologically, it is wrong. Spiritually, it is wrong. So, and that is a person who's currently. No, not currently. This is, yeah, this was a different apostle um, back in 1946. But still, that's. Yeah, uh, but still, if God is eternal and his mouthpieces are talking for God. Yeah. Why does the date necessarily matter? Right. No, it's, exactly. It's the scriptures of the time. Yeah. And what a, what a way to culture. word it. Yeah. What a way to word it. Don't <laughs> let that virus yeah. get yeah, into says, your system. <laughs> exactly. He says there are people who are trying to break down racial um, bias or racial prejudice, he said, mm-hmm. even right back, even in the 40s and 50s. There are people trying to break down racial barriers. Um, and and they urged for intermarriage, but you can still treat them friendly, but don't ever let that virus enter your homes, like arms distance. Yeah. Don't let people breaking down racial barriers infiltrate your families because yeah. that's wrong. Mm. Um, another, another just like testament of blatant racism is the Mormon church owns a lot of businesses and they own hospitals in Utah and um, Michael D D Michael Quinn. I'm not sure exactly what year this started. Oh, never mind. 1953. <laughs> Here it is. So um, this is a quote from D. Michael Quinn from Civil Discrimination Against uh, Feared or Despised Minorities. D. Michael Quinn, I think he's an authority of some sort. He's not an apostle, but he is an authority somewhere, but I I couldn't tell you at this point. Um, But he says, in 1953, a first presidency secretary also informed a white Mormon about the less obvious extent of Utah's racial segregation. The LDS hospital, so this is a quote, the LDS hospital here in Salt Lake City has a blood bank which does not contain any colored blood. According to presidency counselor J. Reuben Clark, so the apostle, Mm-hmm. This policy of segregating African-American blood from the blood donated by so-called white people are intended to protect the purity of the bloodstreams of the people of this church. So the church itself owned hospitals um, that separated blood donations based off the color of the person uh, donating it so that if blood transfusions happened, white people would not get blood from um, black people because black people couldn't have the priesthood. And if there was something called the one drop rule, and if somebody, regardless of what they looked like on the outside, if they had one drop of African-American blood in their 
lineage. They were disqualified from the priesthood and from eternal ordinances because they were tainted with the curse. And so LDS Hospital separated for that reason. That's literally, like, that's literal J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter shit. Like, muggles and (laughs) half-bloods and It is. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay, wait. And that... Um, sorry. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm wrapping, I'm wrapping my head around that. So if a person is, because like, there are so many, everyone does ancestry.com. Like we talked a little bit about how you guys have your own ancestry.com kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, the Um, church owns (laughs) ancestry.com. They do? Yes. I've given my money. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Dang it. Um, Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate. Um, but my point being, like, it's such a. It seems like it's so difficult for a person to not have any kind of. Yeah. Like you know what? Like, well, it, yeah, it, because the the birthplace you, of humanity is in Africa. Right. So like, how do you how do you explain that? And also, how do you how do you know if I just, so that's the problematic thing, number one, but number two, yeah, just the not allowing any blood transfusion from a person of color to go into a person not of color. Right. It's just. From what I understand before, you know, DNA tests were that popular is it was one, if you were obviously mixed, Mm -hmm. you were disqualified. Um, Or if you were obviously a person of color. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you were white passing, then you just lied. And uh, mm. about your heritage, because you, of course, wanted your saving ordinances. Like yeah. you want to be with your family forever. So if you were white passing enough, um, you got by and okay. would just lie about your heritage and, okay. of course, claim like the white side and, mm. and not talk about the, like the other side. Right. So there's a bit of white African ancestry there. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, and the church got rid of the one drop rule because they were trying to open a temple uh, in a country in Africa, I believe. And that was obviously problematic because they have missionaries right. in Africa. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was really problematic because they were going to build this temple. And who's going to go if you're denying all the people of color in Africa the right. ability to even use the temple? And so that's when they got rid of the one drop rule mm. um, at some point before our lifetime. But yeah, those are things like that I didn't grow up hearing about or knowing about. Um, yeah, yeah. And the one drop rule only applied to those of African descent. It didn't apply to Polynesian heritage, um, indigenous heritage, or like Latin- Latino, mm-hmm. Hispanic, sorry, Hispanic heritage. No, you're fine, you're fine. Uh, uh, that, well, so, that's... Yeah, that's very interesting how pointed that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. 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 It's um, so intriguing to just kind of <laughs> process all of that. Um, yeah. Um, there was a, a quote I wanted to share back when it came to interracial marriage. Mm. And I'm, it, I think it was Brigham Young, and he said that the mother and the child should be killed if they were 
mixed race. Um, I'm trying to find the exact one. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. <laughs> yeah, just to be super scary. Yeah. Yeah. Brigham Young, the prophet, had taught that if the white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, the penalty under the law of God is death on the spot. This will always be so. So, and uh, there's like so many quotes about anti, you know, uh, interracial relationships and marriages, but I think we've seen enough examples at this point yeah, to get the idea. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So repugnant to the mind, stuff like that. Uh, of course. So yeah. now like mm-hmm. people of color can hold priesthood. They can be yes. leaders in the church. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any, I guess just like, what is the, what is the, response to the history of the church from their perspective is there anybody who puts anything out on that or do you in your research have you seen anything that comments um well for starters there really just aren't that many people of color in the mormon church i only knew one black mormon growing up um there's only one um family in my like local congregation in frisco texas Mm -hmm. And then I met like a couple other uh, people of color when I went to college in Rexburg at BYUI. Mm. Um, I I experienced more that if there were like people of color in the church, it's because they converted or like their families in Africa converted. Mm. And then like the first generation, potentially second generation Mormons um, who like migrated to the U.S. after their conversion, okay. Uh, because Utah is like, you know, Mecca and mm. the Holy Land. Um, but from like the experience, I, I've inter- I've met and talked more with more ex Mormons mm-hmm. who are people of color who have left and like their experiences as members. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what like I've heard from them is they were just their families or their heritage was really whitewashed, um, especially if they were mixed in any way. It was almost like, I I know one woman who said she didn't even know that she was mixed until she was in her late teens. She just thought she was white because her whole family told her she was white. Like she literally didn't know. And, um, and I've heard from a couple others that I've talked to about how their, like their white side was, what they kind of used to fit in more mm-hmm. um, and like the lack of representation, diversity and culture in the church as well. I think I kind of mentioned in like our last episode about how different ethnicities get stripped uh, when you join the church because the homogenous culture of the church is white colonialism, Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's kind of what the church does in my opinion is, is modern day colonialism. Yeah. Um, And so that's been a struggle too, for people who were people of color in the church was like feeling gaslit about their, uh, like backgrounds and their own culture, especially right for those who are older, because we know now that from DNA studies nowadays, 
that um, like indigenous Native Americans are not Lamanites. They, mm-hmm. Their people came from uh, Asia yeah. and they migrated over across like the Bering Strait into America. They did not come from Jerusalem, like the Book of Mormon says. Yeah. And there was an interview with an ex-Mormon I was listening to this week and he's from Mexico and talking about how his, like his Mexican family, they only had been taught and only believed that they were the descendants of Lehi in the Book of Mormon, who's Mm -hmm. the father of Nephi and Laman before that Mm -hmm. division. Mm -hmm. And, and so like, and he said how they're still being taught, like Mexican members are still being taught to this day that their ancestry comes from the Book of Mormon and they know that because it's been revealed and whatever like DNA evidence is there is the liar. Mm. Um, so if you have been almost like brainwashed to hear that your ancestry came from somewhere where it didn't because it's mm-hmm. fitting into the narrative of the Mormon religion, that can be really confusing and uh, uh, yeah. really like, you know, traumatizing long term. Right. I, I just, um, it's the... Like, I can't even imagine the identity crisis that a person yeah. would go through um, to come to that realization yeah. and then have to discover or rediscover who they actually yeah. are in their culture. And, and I did have a conversation with um, somebody I knew at in Rexburg at, at BYUI. When I left the church, he he is a person of color and, he, and he's in an inner a racial marriage with a, a white woman and he commented to something I had posted and he's still in the church and strongly believes in it. And he said that he had, he's struggled basically his whole life trying to make all of this make sense. He's even um, talked with the presidency members, like the apostles himself mm. um, somewhere. He got like an opportunity to meet and, and talk to one of the apostles Holland. And, um, he said like, he's been in Facebook groups his whole life and that there are communities online of people of color in the church who study all of this and who flip through and comb through it and really try to find a place of consolidation with it. Mm -hmm. And he himself believed about how the church is imperfect and, God is mysterious. And, and he told me how, like what I said earlier about how God is mysterious and we don't know all the answers yet. We don't know why God did that because it's a, it's a complicated question to ask yourself, is God the racist or is the prophets as men racist? Cause you can't have one or the other. And so he, um, has chosen the belief that God is not the racist and it was the prophets who were, Mm -hmm. and they were just um, imperfect men. Um, and that's how he's made it work for himself. I couldn't. And I, you know, like I don't believe in God, but I also do believe that the men were racist and, um, and I, that's how I've interpreted things, but you know, like there are communities for people of color that have, they've created those spaces for themselves in the church to try and support each other because, they are the minority and the majority of white Mormons do have internalized racism. We have been taught things in the past, like, you know, my dad with those experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, 
mm-hmm. that I mentioned earlier. And but for a lot of people of color, they end up leaving the church because they can't live with the shame that the church induces for them being broken, less valiant, cursed. Um, and it's just, you know, that was their catalyst for yeah. not staying. And for some people of color that I've talked to, they didn't even know these teachings and doctrines either until recently, because we've kind of tried to disassociate from them for decades, right. especially like millennial ones, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. No, absolutely. And I hope there was an answer in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So much of an answer. Um, so something that, I mean, this entire conversation, I've been thinking about the musical, the book of Mormon, um, mm. because the, it's a hilarious musical and everyone should. Yeah. Know. I have, I haven't actually seen it because that was yeah. like super taboo when I was a Mormon. Like how oh, dare yeah. they produce <laughs> book of Mormon. That's so disrespectful. <laughs> I know it's so, but yeah, it's hilarious. And, um, it, because the, the whole plot of the story revolves around these two 18 year, or I think they're 18 year old kids. I can't remember. Um, mm-hmm. but these two kids who are being sent on their Mormon mission and yeah. they, one of them is, one of them has a whole song about, he's like, I want to go to the best place in the world. Like the place I know I'm needed <laughs> most it's Orlando. Like he wants to go to Orlando and he gets, he ends up getting sent to a country in Africa and, um, and it's all about his crazy adventures, like experiencing black people and African culture and how yeah. he tries to, um, you know, preach his religion to these people who want nothing to do with it or who don't understand it or, Mm -hmm. um, or anything like that. And there's, he has one line in a song, just like explaining what, like why he believes in Mormonism. And there's a, a, there's a line in there that says like, and I believe that in 1979, God changed his mind about black people. I mean, and that's just kind of what it is. <laughs> and, I just, and I never but, knew the context behind that line, but it's, it's the line that always <laughs> stuck out to me. Um, and now I know the context. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, that's that. really like what, how we teach it is God changed his mind. He yeah. didn't let people of color have the priesthood and now suddenly they can yeah. 10 years after the civil rights movement, you know, right. like an entire decade later, they finally... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Quality work. <laughs> and, and the church, the church presently, they are trying really hard to like work with the NAACP. Um, Cause they're really trying to clean up their image of like the past. Mm-hmm. And last year in 2020, the NAACP actually, um, I got this quote from Will Collum who was the authorized spokesperson to the NAACP president. Mm -hmm. And he had said that the NAACP hadn't seen very much progress on joint projects from the LDS church because the church has been trying to create a relationship with the NAACP for like years. Mm -hmm. Um, And he had said that the church provided a minor effort, minor efforts, and they do not befit the stature and magnitude of what the LDS church can and should do and that the NAACP is looking forward to the church doing more to undo the 150 years of damage they did by how they treated African-Americans in the church. 
and by their endorsement of how African-Americans were treated throughout the country, including segregation and Jim Crow laws. Mm -hmm. And he also said there seems to be no willingness, no willingness on the part of the church to do anything material and that they look forward to their deeds matching their words. So the church's deeds matching their words. It's time now for more than sweet talk. And this was June 8th, 2020, which of course, 2020 was a very like intense year for racial rights and conversations yeah. about racial injustice. And so what happens last week here in 2021 is the church, President Nelson meets with the president of the NAACP and the church donates $10 million to the NAACP. Um, and of course that was like publicized and all the Mormons oh, everywhere yeah. like, oh my God, like they're so charitable. They're so generous. <laughs> Look at how godly and like Christ-like that is. Uh, of course, like without even knowing the context about they're doing this to really try and mitigate mm -hmm. the history so that they're like, oh, that's not us anymore. Which in one hand, maybe it's just because I'm a bitter ex-Mormon, mm -hmm. like should be applauded, of course, any advancement. But on the other hand, I know they're gaslighting like all of the Mormons about it because they right. won't actually say our prophets taught this. We taught this in Sunday school. This was a core doctrine. And, and, and it's just the bitter ex-Mormon in me is like, yes, that's great. Of course, that's good. Mm -hmm. However, it's hypocritical because the Mormon church leaders are not even practicing the same repentance process that they tell members to do themselves. Instead, right. they just deny it ever happened, continue to gaslight the members, say it was theories and rumors of just random men back at the time. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and if now like coughing up money, which 10 right. million for the Mormon church who has 150 billion is not that much. Um, yeah, it's like it's pennies. Right, right. And the same week they do that, they buy a Marriott hotel in Hawaii for a hundred million dollars. The same week they donate 10 million to the NAACP, but they spend a hundred million to buy a Marriott hotel. Yeah. Marriott hotel in Hawaii. And, um, so then you're like, is it really that much effort? <laughs> like, right. Is and it also, really in good faith? And yeah, why do you and, need a hotel in Hawaii? <laughs> right. What's that? What's going on over there? But, um, but yeah, it's such to me when a organization is called to act, that's mm -hmm. yeah, a donation is a good is a is a way to act and that can be seen as charitable, but that's not the action that is being called for. It's the it's yes. the accountability, it's the um, yeah. it's the it's the change within. Yeah, it that's that's what that's what they're asking for they're not asking for a check yeah you can't it's recognizing away. taking accountability for that long-term trauma right. for denying access to like i don't even know like how many hundreds thousands of people in color that existed for those 150 years mm -hmm. um who had to go to church and sit there with their white peers segregated in church mm -hmm. um they couldn't like sit together even then. Um, and just to, yeah, just say, Hey, yeah, yeah, we did that. That was mm -hmm. plucked up. Don't yeah. do that now. <laughs> right. We're not doing that anymore, but it's hard yeah. to do that when, uh, you've been so, yeah. when you've been so strong in your, in your teaching. Well, and until so they do as well, there's still these old boomers, these boomer Mormons who were taught a very different thing that 
black people were cursed and they were less valiant. And they're still teaching that because the church won't come out and say, Hey, we don't do that anymore. We used to do that, but mm-hmm. stop teaching that. Like they're not going to like really do that. Right. So it's, it's not even trying to properly mitigate the internalized racism that already exists amongst mm-hmm. members alive still today. Right. Yeah. It's, traumatizing stuff man and it's yeah um obviously horrifying it is and obviously to to kind of make the point that you made earlier we are two cis white women um talking about this we can only acknowledge the research that you've come up with and the facts and the quotes and obviously we'll never fully understand completely what this experience is like for people of color. Um, but, and I know how easy it can be to look like I'm a white savior and I'm like, you know, out here fighting racism for, and like allyship is good and all, but the most, like, I think the best resources for anybody listening to the podcast is like finding those, the the ex-Mormon is our the ex-Mormon community is already so small, but especially any ex-Mormon creators who are people of color is even mm-hmm. smaller mm-hmm. because they've been like marginalized in their own church. Yeah. And so to then come out as an ex-Mormon person of color is still like even harder with mm-hmm. whatever like Mormon community they already have. It's even more like disenfranchisement. And yeah. uh but finding like those specific creators online who are being vocal about it and open about it is the best place to get like an insight and has been the best place for me to have an insight into like conversations about racism Mm -hmm. systemically, like both in the church, whatever internalized racism I've had to like deconstruct myself. Um, Cause you know, yeah, I was that person who was like, I'm not racist. I don't hate (laughs) black people. (laughs) But it's like, that's not what they were talking about though. And then I, But I I also couldn't like understand that when I was a Mormon because I was in a system that didn't allow me to criticize it. I wasn't allowed to criticize that system. And so, which is also why Mormons are so like traditionally right-wing conservatives because they're not not allowed to criticize the religious organization they're in. So they're not going to believe you about systemic issues. Mm -hmm. They're not going to believe that the American system can be corrupt and criticize that. Mm. Like... That's And so, yeah, I, I couldn't understand or even start to understand systemic inequalities until I left the church. And then I was like, oh, that it makes more sense up. now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you Definitely. know, but it, it is just, it's tricky because I don't want to, like, tell even any, like, current people of color members that you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be a Christian or you shouldn't be a Mormon because. Sure. No, of course. It's always, I know religion and faith is about, more complicated. And I, I say this on, I say this all the time. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what you, like, if you believe, if you belong to a religious institution, that's fantastic. If it serves you and it, it works for you, as long yeah. as you are fully educated on the institution you're in. Yes. You have informed consent with your institution. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think faith and religion is very complicated and humans are intrinsically religious anyways, or more religiously inclined. So, yeah, but definitely. yeah, I agree. Informed consent is 
the most important thing that anybody should have in religion. Well, Kelsey, if you could send me um, some of those creators on TikTok that you're speaking of, um, oh, yeah. people of color, absolutely. Um, so I can link that in the show notes for people to go check out. That way we can yeah. make sure we're amplifying uh, those voices as well. I think that would be super helpful. I can do that. And um, thank you so much for coming on again for a third time yeah. and <laughs> giving us all the goodies, all the deets, um, all the research, just again, so we can be aware of what's going on and, and take with it or take with us what we need and just be more informed. Um, I appreciate your voice and I look forward to talking to you again very soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.